Today we're continuing our series on the parables of Jesus. Again, we're looking at planting seeds, so that means again you're going to hear stories about me gardening. I swear, with this sheep and shepherd thing and the gardening thing, it's like God was preparing my hobbies for this sermon series. I'm so excited. So, when Michelle and I began gardening, we had a little corner of our lot in West Des Moines. Terrible clay soil, but we decided we were going to start growing our food. And we had a vision of this bountiful garden that would just have the biggest, reddest tomatoes and peppers and onions and broccoli and flowers and every kind of color you can imagine, a cornucopia of fresh food right in our little backyard. It was going to be so breathtaking. I had this dream of what it was going to look like. It was something like this on the screens. You know, the perfect aisles. Just You walk out there and you're just proud. But as every gardener knows, that's typically not how the garden looks, especially in the first few years. While you can add all the fertilizer you want and the plants can get all the sun and the water that they need, while it becomes good growing conditions for your plants, it also becomes great growing conditions for the weeds. And so as a result, in the early years of our Leonard's family garden, rather than the garden like is on the screen, this is the picture I took. <laughs> there was an aisle in that picture, believe it or not. You couldn't find it. We still had our tomatoes, and we have peppers in there. We have broccoli, and we have a single sunflower that a bird who probably was eating from our bird feeder dropped in the middle of the garden. You get a little bit of everything. Wherever the seeds go, we built growing conditions for a little bit of it all. And I, for one, blame that whole mess on Adam, okay? It goes back to the very beginning. Adam sinned, and part of his curse is that God told him, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat food. And so if you're going to grow a garden that actually produces good food and doesn't look like that mess, there's a lot of sweat that goes into it. I know, because I started weeding that once, and then it got hot, and I quit. But here's why I gave up. It's because getting rid of the weeds isn't just about the work of weeding. But you have to actually know what you're doing. And so in the beginning, I didn't really know much of anything. Michelle knew which plants we planted. She knew where we put what. So she said, well, just go weed over in that corner of the garden. Start over there. I'll start over here. So I start pulling up plants. And she looks over her shoulder and she says, you just pulled up three broccoli plants. What are you doing? And I'm like, ugh. You got to know what the plants are when they're young, and you can't always tell when they're small. It didn't have huge broccoli florets on it yet. So she kicked me out of the garden, and she sent me to the berry patch because we had grass that was knee-high in the middle of our strawberries. And I'm like, surely I can identify the grasses, and I can do this. But I was lazy. I didn't get down by the roots to pull the grasses out gingerly. I just grabbed them by the top and yanked. And you guys know what happened, right? the strawberry plant that was right next to that piece of grass just popped right up with it. And at that point, I said, all right, Michelle, <laughs> looks like these weeds are your problem. I'm going inside. You see, when you're trying to grow something, weeds are always a problem. So in our last parable, 
we talked about seeds, but it was really about different types of soil. Today we're talking about the difference between the plants and the weeds. And ultimately, the one benefit of my gardening experience when I read this parable is that I learned you don't have to do the weeding. Let the weeds and the plants grow up together. That's actually not the point of our parable, but that's what we're going to learn from Jesus here. And it's not good practice for your garden. So if you want to turn right now to Matthew chapter 13, that's where we're going to be reading. We're going to be in, beginning in verse 24. And in Matthew's account, remember last week I told you the parable of the sower appears in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We read out of Luke's version. In Matthew's account of these teachings and these parables, what we're reading today comes immediately after the parable of the sower. So that's the beginning of chapter 13. We're picking up in verse 24. This is what we read. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. And so do you notice that this parable is meant to help us understand, first thing we have to get is it's meant to help us understand the kingdom of heaven. That's the very beginning of what Jesus teaches. The kingdom of heaven is like, and we have to keep that in our minds as we try to unpack what is Jesus teaching us here. He's teaching us an aspect of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom that Jesus is establishing on this earth. Then we see in the NIV translation, it calls it this the wheat and the weeds. But if you have an old King James version, it's better known as the wheat and the tares. And the reason the tares is actually a little bit better of a word is because it's speaking specifically about one type of weed that was a problem in Palestine in the area of Jesus at this time. It's coming off the Greek word that we know that this plant that got confused with the wheat is actually to us known as darnel. And darnel looks just like wheat when it is growing up. They're virtually indistinguishable until the heads pop. Darnel has a much darker seed, and there's way fewer grains on it than there are on the head of wheat. And so that's why the disciples didn't recognize that there were weeds in the field until the wheat sprouted and formed heads. The problem with darnel is that it's also known as uh, poison darnel because these black heads are inedible and so you can't just mix it all together and say oh it's just a different type of wheat it's not you have to keep it separated or else you ruin your wheat and you're eating something that's not going to be good for your stomach at all so the servants when everything sprouts and they realize there's this mixture in the field they're confused and they ask their master the farmer who sowed the seed they're like sir didn't you sow good seed like did you have 
bad, pro, a bad bag here? Had you collected a mixture? Why did this happen? But there must have been enough of these tares that the owner of that field knew that an enemy had sabotaged his field by planting these weeds. This was a lot more than just common, you know, weeds getting mixed in that we're all used to. Instead, he almost had this supernatural knowledge that this had to have been the work of somebody who purposefully sowed these seeds in and among my field. And we might say, well, that seems kind of far-fetched, but actually it was such a common problem that the Romans had a law against sowing darnel in other people's wheat fields. Like, that's what people were trying to do to get revenge on their enemies. And it's at this point that the sermons then start thinking how I think. Well, let's get rid of these weeds then. Let's just start grabbing them and getting them out of here now that we can tell the good from the bad. But the master says, no, 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 not yet. you got to wait. He knew what I discovered when I started pulling weeds around my strawberries. You start grabbing at the darnel, start pulling at these tears, and you're going to rip the weed out with it. And so we can't do that. We just have to wait. We have to let them grow side by side. And then the time will come. At the harvest, we'll take it all. And we'll separate it. And we'll take the tares, we'll take the weeds, we'll tie it up and we'll throw it in the fire to be burned. And we'll gather the wheat together that I grew for myself and we'll bring it into my barn. And this parable, like all parables, is meant to teach and instruct us. Some of it is clear to understand, but a lot of this isn't. If you've never heard this parable and what comes next, you might be thinking, Ryan, what the heck is this about? What is the point Jesus is making? Fortunately for us, as with many of the longer parables that Jesus taught, he gives a full explanation for us. So we're going to begin to unpack this story with Jesus as our guide. Uh, we're lucky one of Jesus' disciples asked him to explain what this meant. So when we pick up in verse 36, it says, let me flip my... Yeah, verse 36, we jump down. We're skipping over a parable that we're going to talk about next week. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And so, when we look at this parable, a lot of our questions get answered right here, because Jesus makes it actually very clear. He gives a one-to-one -one representation of, almost, of every single aspect in this parable. We understand a parable is a story of something people understand to explain and point to an aspect of something in the spiritual realm that we can't see with our own eyes. And so Jesus says, okay, the one who sows, the master or the farmer, however we want to call that, is the Son of Man. Son of Man is a title for the coming promised Messiah that's used all through the Old Testament. Jesus is essentially using this title for Himself. He is the one who sows good seed. 
He's sowing the seed on a field, and he says the field is the world. Some people have taken this parable and they've twisted it to say, well, this parable is about uh, true Christians and non-Christians in the church, and the, the field is the church. But the beautiful thing about Jesus being so clear with this explanation is we don't have the opportunity to twist it and make it mean something that Jesus didn't intend it for us to have it mean. The field is the entire world. The good seeds that grow into wheat are the people of the kingdom, the followers of Jesus. What become of the Christians? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a good seed. The bad seed that grows into the darnel are people of the evil one, those who fall for the lies, the seeds that the devil is sowing all over this world. The enemy of the master is the devil, and we understand Satan is the enemy, the adversary of Jesus, the Son of Man. I think it's interesting, we, I keep showing through Scripture over months now how common it is that Jesus speaks of a real tangible adversary. This isn't just there's good forces and there's bad forces in the world. There is somebody who specifically is trying to oppose everything that Jesus is trying to do. And so if this parable is about Jesus trying to bring the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God to this earth, we understand Satan's whole objective is to stop the spread of the kingdom. The harvest is ultimately the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. So when we take Jesus' one-to-one -one explanation, I'm going to reword or summarize what this parable says in the story up to this point using the uh, correspondences. The kingdom of heaven is like when Jesus spreads people of the kingdom all across the world. But the devil spreads people who are evil and believe his lies among the people of the kingdom. And both are allowed to coexist until the end of the age when the angels will gather the people of the evil one and throw them into the fire and then gather the people of the kingdom and bring them into the kingdom of heaven. And so with all these connections established, let's look at the point Jesus wants his disciples to understand. He kind of lands this plane in a very interesting spot beginning in verse 40. Jesus says, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Remember, that's where Jesus ended the parable of the sower. Whoever has ears, let them hear. He's saying, I'm trying to explain this to you guys, but you have to have a willing heart to understand and so when we look at this story as a whole, we have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus tell this story? I mean, it probably landed in a little different place than you expected. When I read this story the first time, every time I'm caught by the part where the master says, don't pull them up yet, just allow them to grow together. But that's not really where Jesus lands the story. He lands it with a burning furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth. He lands his big emphasis on the judgment, 
that's going to be coming. He's basically saying, look, there's two types of people in this world. We've got the wheat and we've got the tares. We've got those who are going to be gathered into the master's barn and those who are going to be judged. And ultimately, at this point in time, we can't necessarily tell who's who. As we look at this parable, it's helpful for us to realize that this is immediately followed by the parable of the mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds, but in time grows into the biggest of trees, and then followed by that with the parable of the leaven. And we understand leaven, the yeast in bread, doesn't instantly make a loaf. It takes time to develop. And so in the same way, we're seeing how the kingdom of God is not something that Jesus dies on the cross and boom, the kingdom's here and everything's established and we only have good people and all the bad people are gone. But Jesus is saying, it's not going to happen how you guys are hoping it's going to happen. This is going to start small. It's going to take time. And there's going to be a long time where you as my followers are going to live alongside evil people who are trying to hinder my work and my kingdom breaking forth in this world. And so there are people who look at this world right now and they say, God, how can you say your kingdom is here? Because what I see is hurt and pain and war and abuse and all this evil. How can this be where the kingdom of God is? Other people look at this world and say, how can this be the kingdom of God and how can Jesus' words be true? Because I get away with murder and I can do whatever I want and there's no consequences for it. I'm living the good life. And we want to see judgment immediately to validate that what's in the Bible is true, but that's not what happens. What this parable is making clear is that it is God's choosing to wait to say, don't judge yet. Don't pull up what you deem to be bad weeds. Let's let this thing play out. Let's be slow and let's let it develop because then there will be a time where it will be very clear what is wheat and what is the weeds. This is pointed out very clearly in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus wants everybody to be wheat. That's His hope. But He knows that the, Satan is throwing these lies out all over. This, Satan's seed is being spread in the hearts and minds of people worldwide, and always has been. But Jesus is slow because He knows His kingdom work takes time. He wants to give everybody the opportunity to be gathered ultimately into the master's barns. But the very next verse confirms the exact thing that Jesus taught about the day that one day is going to come. The very next verse, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Judgment is coming. In these last few parables, we talked about the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son, the parable of the soils. And in all these, it's about the welcome nature and the love of God to say, come home. I'm searching for you. I want you to be a part of me. 
But here we get to the flip side. In Christianity, you can't have one without the other. There is coming a day where there will be judgment. We have to understand that. And that's what this parable is teaching. So, let's jump into the lessons we learned from the story. I got ahead of myself. First thing we see is the kingdom of heaven is here, just not fully. Okay? No matter what we see, no matter what is going on in the world, no matter how broken the news cycle seems for us when we watch it and just go, this is a mess. God, are you actually at work here? Yes, God is at work. The kingdom of God is moving. Saints are maturing. Ministries are making a difference all across this world. And you rub shoulders with people who are total jerks. And that's just the way it is in this world right now. There are evil people alongside people who follow Jesus, and we have to navigate that broken world for the time being. However, point two, judgment is imminent. I know some people don't like to hear about judgment. They'd say, well, Ryan, just keep talking about the love of God and the welcoming nature of God. I did that for three weeks. Now we're on judgment. Okay, There is going to come a point where God is not loving if he allows the evil to eternally exist and cause harm to his beloved family. That's not a loving God. A loving God protects and says, you know what, enough is enough. You are done with my children. You can no longer harm my children. There is a separation. All that is bad, all that is sinful, all that is evil, we read in the parable, is gathered together by the angels and is thrown into the fire. The weeping and gnashing of teeth is common phrasing to just say this is eternal torment, eternally apart from God, so that the wheat that remains all that is good, what the Master was trying to sow from the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and created Adam and Eve in His image. That was His intent. That's the wheat. That's those who He wants to be in the kingdom of heaven with Him forever. That timing by God is going to happen on God's watch, but He is the one who will judge, and that judgment is coming no matter what you see around you. Third point, we aren't the judge. We are, you know, like in weeding, you see the weeds and you want to jump and you want to fix it. You see somebody who's doing something bad and you want to jump in there and be like, you shouldn't be doing that. You're messing up your life. And we can be harsh sometimes. It's not our job to judge. Is it our job to help people? Yes. We can speak words of challenge. We can say, you know, the way I look at this, maybe when you do this, you're harming yourself. You know, I follow God. I live this way. My life works differently. But to just come and point the finger and to think that you're the judge, that you're the one who gets to say, bad plan, I'm ripping you out. We can't do that. Because you might be grabbing an immature plant of wheat You might be speaking to a brand new baby Christian who's trying to understand faith and you say that harsh word and they say, you know what, that's what I thought about the church, I'm done with it. You know, we hear stories of that where people were trying and they were stumbling in their faith journey and some nosy Nelly from the church got in their business and pushed them away, basically trying to uproot the weeds and what they did is they pulled out the wheat and now that person is far from God. We don't want to do that. We understand that time is coming and God will do that. 
However, I think instead of us thinking that we're the harvesters and our job is to pull out the weeds, that's the angel's job at the end of the time, we would be better served in joining the master in sowing seeds of the gospel. That's our job. Rather than judging or condemning people, we should be sharing God's love and God's kindness with everyone around, hoping that they may one day turn out not to be weed. Yeah, they may be a jerk at work, but possibly God's got a story in, in store for them. God's got a moment where they're going to finally mature and the head's going to sprout and you're going to go, holy cow, I thought they were one thing, but they're a child of God and this is beautiful. We get to play a role in that. Finally, each one of us has a choice. Ultimately, this parable is about two kinds of seeds that grow into two kinds of plants that have two very different realities and endings. Like it or not, Jesus is clear that people either receive the seed of the gospel and sprout into followers of Jesus, or they receive the seed of the devil, the lies that you're good enough on your own, or you'll never be good enough, so don't try, or you can earn salvation, just do a lot of good things, and at the end there's a scale, and if the good outweighs the bad, you're fine. These are all lies that Satan sends to try to keep us from grasping the seed of the gospel, okay? And we have to decide, do I believe what the preacher up here, what I'm telling you, do I believe what the Word of God says, or do I believe this idea that I have about faith, probably from lies that the world has spread in all sorts of shapes and form? But this decision is important because Jesus tells us that one day, we will either all be burned up in the furnace or we will burn brightly in glory. God's glory shines bright. One way or another, we're going to shine. Are we going to be burned up, taken away, or are we going to burn brightly in glory, brought into the Father's house, have that banquet we hear about in that parable of the lost sons that we spoke of a couple weeks ago? But that's our decision. Every single person has to decide that in their own heart. You don't get to just ride into heaven on the coattails of your grandma or your parents or the fact that you were raised going to church. That doesn't matter. Ultimately, this is about making a choice. Do I trust Jesus to redeem me, to forgive me, to save me? And am I willing to then follow him? Or am I going to believe these other things and just kind of make my own way to heaven? Because the Bible's very clear. And in this parable, Jesus is very clear. Whether we like the concept of judgment or not isn't the issue in store here. Jesus says it's going to happen. So the issue is whether we are ready. Have we prepared our hearts for that day? And for some of us, this gives us incredible hope. Hope for salvation and rescue from this broken and weary world. But for others of you, perhaps this strikes fear in your heart because you feel like, I'm not ready. If that's you, get ready. When we sing this final song, come up and talk to me about this or catch me on the way out. Like, we can't wait. You can't just say, well, I know I've got more time. You're never guaranteed more time. There's a point where you just have to say, I'm in or I'm not in. But Jesus says there's going to be a dividing. 
For those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, today we wait for his kingdom to fully come. We wait for God to bring his good and gracious judgment at the perfect time. We trust that he knows what's best for every single person and he's going to bring the end when everything is ready. And while we wait for his perfect timing, we don't jump in trying to pull out weeds. Instead, we join in scattering seed, in helping to see people around us grow and flourish in transformed lives that have been impacted by the word of God and the teaching of Jesus. And we trust the master, Jesus Christ, to bring us home at the final harvest. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?